Hi there. Thank you for listening to Spotless, breaking the boundaries of television. The world of TV and advertising is evolving quickly. The largest content creators, distributors, and brands are all vying for new ways to engage the next generation of viewers. Presented by two media powerhouses, Triple Lift and Advertising Week, Spotless brings you in-depth conversations with the leaders who are driving this evolution. Consumer behaviors of the next two years will decide the winners and losers of the next two decades. Now here's our host, Michael Shields, GM of Advanced Advertising at Triple Lift. Samantha Glynn is Global Senior Vice President of Branded Entertainment at Fremantle. She is based in London, but drives branded entertainment activities for Fremantle around the world, working with regional, commercial, and digital teams to deliver brand strategy, lead key relationships with brands and agencies, and maximize advertiser engagement on TV and digital platforms. Fremantle has established itself as a key partner for brands, having developed iconic and long-running partnerships with global advertisers across some of its key television properties, like Idols, Got Talent, and The X Factor. Branded content is a key growth area for the company, for its existing TV brands, and its growing original digital content output. Formerly managing partner and director of channels at Publicis Entertainment in London and Paris, Glenn launched Renault TV in the UK and France. Before that, she launched the Audi channel on Sky. She's also overseen channel launches around the world. Glenn was a judge for the entertainment jury, Can Leon 2017, and with her fellow jurors, co-wrote the book, The Art of Branded Entertainment. Sam, thank you so much for joining us on Spotless today. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, let's dive into um, your role as head of branded entertainment for Fremantle. And really, I'd love to get your perspective on what you mean by branded entertainment. Ah, branded entertainment. Everyone asks that. Um, for me, branded entertainment is a piece of content that uh, audiences will seek out because it's going to entertain them, but it happens to be fully or partially funded by a brand. So it's slightly different than an ad or even branded content because it has that entertainment value. It's got that show business about it. It's got that storytelling and emotional engagement that viewers will look for, watch, be completely engaged and absorbed in, and then share with their friends and family. And it's, it's irrelevant that a brand has funded it. People have gone there because they want to see it. I think it's amazing that you characterize branded entertainment as something that audiences seek out. You know, so many times we think of brands engaging in and funding branded entertainment in a way to seek out audiences, to seek out exactly. the appropriate demos that they're trying to reach. Um, and I think that might be a difference of the perspective of being at the production company. Could you talk a little bit about in your engagement with brands? Some of the brands you work with are content creators themselves, right? But you're kind of bringing this extra storytelling lens to the work. Could you talk about how that, that engagement differs when you talk to brands coming from a production company as opposed to being a marketer? Let's start with IP or intellectual property that already exists. So you mentioned before, Fremantle makes Got Talent, Idols, 
the X Factor. We also make The Price is Right, Family Feud or Family Fortunes um, and numerous other game shows. These shows are on air in 50, 60, 70 countries around the world. They're huge franchises. So when a brand comes to us and says, I want to be part of this storytelling, they know exactly what they're getting. They're getting these incredibly well-established TV formats that have a beautifully engaged set of, of fans who come back year after year, season after season, territory after territory to watch these shows. So their investment is in a piece of IP that they know already works. Um, on the other hand, there is the co-creation of IP with brands and agencies, which is another way of doing it, that you can sit down together and say, what story do we want to tell? How can we tell it to reach audiences in an entertaining fashion? And we will go off and make something with the participation of the brand and the agency and then take that to market and launch it as a brand new show. So those, those are the two different areas that I see that we can work in in terms of bringing uh, populist entertainment to public and involving a brand. In the second way of designing branded entertainment, really one of the most interesting things that I've seen in the last few years at various conferences, I think you launched in Cannes last summer, you first talked about it. And um, I remember seeing you and our friend William Swan at BBH talk about it at Advertising Week uh, last year. And that is the collaboration that Fremantle has with BBH in developing specific formats of shows. I think at the time you alluded to a studio game show, but based around new technology, these conceits that could help really be supported by an individual brand where they could actually drive a lot of the storytelling, a lot of the narrative. Um, could you give us an update on that partnership? Yeah, sure. I'll tell you how it came about. So traditionally, we've made great shows and we put brands into our shows. So it might be the Dunkin' Cup on the America's Got Talent desk, or it might be Lipton in, in American Idol. Um, and these, these are brands that have come into our shows and we've integrated the product in a meaningful way. Um, however, we thought, well, what can we do next? So in 2017, as you mentioned, I was very honoured to be on the jury of the Entertainment Lions um, in Cannes. And... One of the guys on the Entertainment Alliance was Pele from BBH, and he was the creative director at the time. We sat down and we said, this is crazy. BBH has all these amazing clients. They have access to knowledge and data about what audience wants. They have the, uh, their brand's trust and money. Um, Fremantle has the ability to create content that can travel all over the world. What if we combined our two skill sets and worked together to co-create some formats? Um, then I met the wonderful Will Swan on a boat in Cannes, which um, sums it all up beautifully. And uh, Always a started... great place to meet people. <laughs> Absolutely. Enduring um, friendships. <laughs> and uh, we sat there and said, well, what, what can we do? Um, it did take about a year to do the legal work on this because we're two very different businesses. An advertising agency and a production and distribution company have completely different business models, completely different wants and needs. BBH, however, is very forward thinking. With Black Sheep Studios, they realized that they had to start creating formats, that they had to start owning IP because that was the future. As the 30-second ad comes under threat, they need to look at new ways of talking to audiences and giving their brands um, a vehicle to express themselves. So eventually we got to a point where we said, okay, 
BBH does this, which is basically working with the brand, bringing the advertiser money in, looking at the strategy behind it, creating all the marketing materials around the content. And Fremantle does that, which is create the show, bring the brand values into the show, interweave them seamlessly, take the show to the commissioners, because we know what commissioners want, produce the show, and then at the end, distribute the show. So that might be as a tape sale, which is, of course, the old-fashioned way of saying selling the finished program, or it might be as a um, format, which we then co-create in different countries, France, Germany, Spain, US, UK, Australia, so it becomes a global franchise. So we were very careful to delineate what our two skill sets were. It doesn't mean BBH did not have an executive producer role, which they do, and they brought in their very different kind of creative thinking, which we loved, and then we brought in our production expertise. But we were very careful to delineate what our skill sets were and what our activities during the process will be. Without that, it never would have worked. So um, when it came to it, we actually brought together a whole load of creatives and strategists from BBH, uh, some wonderful development executives from the Fremantle companies, we took them to dinner on night one, so they got to know each other. Um, and then we locked them in a room for two days. BBH came with some strategic ideas. This is what clients want to talk about. It wasn't specifically brand messages, but it was cultural conversations such as the fear of AI. What does sustainability mean? And for us, this was a wonderful way of thinking because our normal way of co-creating or creating formats is, oh, they had one of those shows in Germany. Maybe we could make one in the UK. Or we'll go, oh, intuitively, I feel people really want to watch this. But to have some hard data and some strategy and start from that point was amazing and really new way of thinking for us. So then we paired BBH creatives with Fremantle creatives. We, we mixed them all up and we sent them off into rooms with whiteboards and felt-tip pens. And we spent two days refining I think it was about 60 ideas at the very beginning to four really strong ones by the end. Um, everyone was, I think, overwhelmed by the success. I think we were surprised that we all worked so well together. We were delighted that what we created felt really viable and we did it in two days. Uh, they're out in market now. COVID has put a little um, break on things moving as quickly as possible. But um, I'm very optimistic that two or possibly three of those formats will happen somewhere in the world and that uh, BBH and Fremantle will be partners in that way. Um, I think there's great potential for production companies and creative agencies especially to work together in this way or in a slightly different way um, and I'd be really open to talking to any advertising agencies and I'm sure BBH would be interested in talking to other production companies it's not something we want to keep to ourselves I think it's a, a general trend that the business will embrace and we look forward to seeing some of those uh, formats on TV soon it's a super exciting collaboration um, I wanted to kind of double click on one aspect of what you talked about one of the things that I've been tracking over the last four or five years or so are really the the notion of data-driven content creation that you just alluded to. Um, uh, I wonder if you could talk about uh, some of the trends that you're looking at now. The world has changed so much in the last 12 months, right? Um, this creates new opportunities for engaging audiences on sometimes subject, uh, sensitive subject matter, perhaps looking at humor in an entirely different way, perhaps looking at new formats. And I wonder if you might talk about some of the trends that you're looking at today 
and kind of peeking around the corner to see what kind of content is going to be created in the future. So, you know, as, as Fremantle, we look at our data very carefully. We have a lot of systems in place to monitor our social and digital viewing. So we've got huge dashboards for all our shows and we can see who's watching our YouTube, Facebook and social channels, how long they're watching for, what their comments are, what they like, what they don't like. We can look at when we've got a brand integrated, how people respond to that brand within the content. And we feed that back into how we make the programs. So it might be, you know, we'll be surprised that people find some things funny. So we know this is actually a sense of humor that we should pursue or we'll find that people lose interest at a certain point in the content. So we'll edit content in the future in a different way. So we use data very carefully to create our formats. I think what's interesting is that agencies, especially media agencies, have amazing access to data about how people are viewing different trends. If we could collaborate more closely with those media agencies or digital agencies um, or tech agencies and marry their understanding of topics and future-proof how we're creating content from the outset, then that would be a very valuable partnership for everyone. This is fascinating to me. So we're, we're talking about, particularly in the context of brand-supported television and branded entertainment, it, it makes sense what you just alluded to, that the inputs are similar. Agencies are looking at the same sorts of inputs for identifying cultural trends and then developing messaging as programmers are looking at for developing content. And there's a synergy there. Okay. I think about the outputs now. Right. And you have spoken so eloquently about how working in a production company, but developing branded entertainment, I'm working in advertising technology and and developing technology that allows brands to integrate their messaging into shows. Right. We frequently work with networks and streaming services. And you've eloquently stated before how we're essentially all working on the same thing, but with different objectives. Um, I'm thinking about the synergies in what we're doing and the the, the kind of performance metrics that we have in common, right? Ultimately, we're all in the business of entertainment, right? So I wonder if you might comment a little bit about like the outputs that you're looking at, what, how you judge performance for some of the branded entertainment that you're developing. That's a tough one. As you say, we've all got the same goal to make a successful show, but our micro goals within that are very different. A brand is about brand exposure. A production right. company is about a successful format that will travel. An agency is about creating a different type of ROI that they can take back to their clients and sell to future clients. It's, it's a really difficult one. And finding that sweet spot between something that's very successful for a brand and something that's very successful for a TV program is the holy grail. Um, can we do it together? I'm sure we can. And it's going to take a lot of experimentation and a lot of misses. But I think somewhere combining that deep audience insight with production expertise is going to create something that is a success equally for the brand and for the production company and for the network that's uh, broadcasting it. I think those synergies exist. I, I've always thought when we launch new advertising products, right, that the key KPI we should be looking at is actually increased time spent with content, right? So looking at audience and, and user statistics around content. So I think that those, 
synergies exist. Um, obviously at Fremantle, you're an audience first organization. So when you go and talk to brands, how important is the research that you can provide around audiences and kind of new metrics that maybe brands aren't thinking about in terms of engagement figures? It's hugely important. Um, however, when we're on TV, we're limited by the metrics that are actually available. Linear TV is uh, tracked in quite a limited fashion. Uh, if we're on a streaming service, we get very little audience data back. So sometimes we're working in the dark and we're then caught between what works better for branded entertainment, qual, qual or quant. So if we're working on quant, then we're competing with traditional advertising and we're never going to win. Right. You know, you could go and buy a TVC, you know, exactly who your eyeballs are. It's guaranteed there's no risk. Put a brand inside a show. You don't have any of those guarantees. You're, you're shooting in the dark. But what you're getting is a brand uplift, which is emotional. Um, putting a brand into, for example, Idol, and when somebody goes through to the next round and they get that piece of news and they call their family on a phone and tell them, and you could see that phone's branding in picture, that's incredibly valuable because you are seeing somebody's life being transformed and you'll never capture that emotion in TVC. The question is, how do you track that? How right. do you create an ROI around it and go back to the brand and say, this is much more valuable than your 30-second spot is ever going to be? ROI analyses, I think, are, are the key to helping this, this industry evolve. Ultimately, brands always want to be in the programming, either associated with the programming, buying spots around that programming, or actually integrated into the programming of the TV that audiences love. It's, the, it's, it's one of the primary things that brands are asking for. However, it comes with additional production costs. The metrics, to your point, are sometimes difficult to track um, and sometimes difficult to reconcile between different reporting agencies, networks and streaming services versus, versus the ad agencies. Um, uh, so it's often difficult to, to construct the metrics on, on what these things should be based. You mentioned emotion before, right, and tracking emotion. Are there components, different data components that are contributing to a return on investment analysis that you're talking to brands about now? Is there data around emotion? There are some companies who track emotion as people watch content. I'm yet to find something that really works as a convincing model to convert brands. And, you know, the risk is you create a 30-second ad, you have a storyboard, you know exactly what you're getting frame by frame. You put something into a piece of content. It's recorded live or as live, and it lives or dies by the spontaneity of that moment. Mm -hmm. So the measurability is, is never as clean cut as it would be in, in the ad world. So it's about brands and agencies shifting their perception, shifting their concept of, of risk, and understanding that it's going to be an overall uh, brand messaging exercise rather than a very result-driven, um, purchase-driven operation. Brands typically want to align with very positive messaging uh, when in creating branded entertainment. We've seen a lot of brands wade into touchier waters as of late and try to align with messages about social injustice, try to align with messages uh, about tragedy, right? How do you help guide brands 
when it comes to talking about some of those touchier subjects? Well, purpose is a big word now, isn't it? I'm sure there'll be plenty of podcasts about purpose. Um, Brands do have purposes, and I think content is an amazing way for them to explore and uh, communicate those purposes in an authentic manner. Telling the real story of a real person um, who's gone through a tragedy or difficulty and come out the other end is much more valuable than a piece of scripted TVC or, or anything that you feel is less authentic. So reality TV provides authenticity for those purpose-driven stories. I think as a company, Fremantle is always very aware that we have a duty to our public to provide content that can create social change. So, for example, if you look at the Got Talent franchise, which is one of my favorite shows, I'm always touched and impressed by the diversity of talent that enter those shows and win it. You can be any age, any background, any ability. Um, I don't know if you saw last year Cody Lee Mm -hmm. on America's Got Talent, and he was autistic um, and blind, and he played the piano beautifully. It was the most touching piece of content I've seen for a long time. And I love the fact that these shows can be a platform for everyone and anyone to appear. And for brands to be behind that helps them tell stories about different people from different walks of lives. And it helps them to integrate into a a very purpose-driven and authentic way. Fremantle has been very successful in developing formats across a variety of genres. You just talked a little bit about reality television and its effectiveness for delivering a brand entertainment message, for developing a a touching story with brands. Um, Fremantle has done an amazing job with some very uh, uh, um, uh, high drama scripted formats. The Young Pope, the New Pope, uh, um, Paolo Sorrentino content is just fabulous. American Gods has been a big success for the company. Um, You're owned by RTL. What about influencer-based content that obviously is part of RTL's bailiwick? Well, we really enjoy working with the multi-platform networks that uh, sit within the RTL group, Uh, but it's normally to amplify our own content and to do extensions around our existing content. Going back to what I said at the very beginning of our conversation, I see branded entertainment as different from branded content. Generally, what an influencer creates is branded content. They make it very obvious that this is a brand that they are promoting, They are labeled as such. You'll have a P in the corner of the screen or you'll have something that tells the audience that this is paid product placement. And the audience accept it because they understand that this is how the influencers get paid and this is how they get to watch this content for free on digital platforms. Branded entertainment is something else. This is where the message is seamlessly woven into the story. So whether it is the reality formats we've talked about or dramas, so... We have a soap opera called Neighbours, which is on air in Australia and the UK. And during COVID, I think it only closed for two weeks. We managed to keep production going all the way throughout. And this is a fantastic show. It's been going for 35 years. It's still immensely popular. Um, We all used to watch it as students and it's carried on with, with a massive audience. And what we do with that show is it's it's a very sunny show. It's set in in the suburbs of Melbourne, 
but we managed again to integrate brands in a meaningful way. So we did something on Blood Normal recently and we had a sanitary product integrated into a storyline, which meant that you know we got paid for product placement, but at the same time, we sent out a positive message for the brand to tell its own story. So influencer content, one thing, drama and reality, I see, again, two separate buckets of branded entertainment, but they serve a very different purpose than influencer content. It doesn't mean that our actors in Neighbours or our stars from our reality show can't create content in the digital universe off the back of our shows. And we do do that. We have 100 billion views on YouTube and God knows how many billion on Facebook, but it's not our core IP. It's it's um, content that surrounds our IP. And we do see our talent as influencers in that space. Does that and make the, sense? It, it absolutely makes sense. And did the, the production teams in those instances help the influencers, like the, the, the talent themselves create content, or is it kind of allowed to be more free than that? I think it's a combination. I think influencer content has to feel authentic or else it doesn't work. But of course, as a production company, we own the handles on a right, lot of right. their themes and we manage it. And then we also cross promote and, you know, we, our aim in our digital team is to build audiences by cross promoting our content across different networks and channels. Does the global nature of some of these franchises and the global reach of social media help in that regard? Absolutely. Uh, they cross pollinate enormously. We, we have a show in, in Asia, we had Asia's Got Talent and we had an Indonesian magician do her act there. And, you know, you'd think it was fairly niche. This act went mad on Facebook and we cross-posted uh, this short video around the world and it did become Facebook's most watched video ever. So that's the power of a global franchise plus a global social network plus an understanding through data Mm. of what people want to see, how they watch it and how to cross promote it. So it was a really exciting exercise for our teams to to grow that content and make it travel. That's really exciting. Entertainment has always faced the challenge of becoming um, cross-border in in part due to licensing concerns. I imagine, though, that your your conversation with brands, when you can talk about global franchises and you can talk about global reach, and you're talking to Coca-Cola or Unilever um, that have global brands, I imagine that's appealing. Are they starting to design campaigns really on a global level with you? Mm. In my dreams, yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the reality is that a lot of global brands are fragmented. Right. Uh, they have regional budgets and regional mm-hmm. teams, and it's sometimes a little bit difficult to bring those together. On the other hand, uh, we can say, look, we did this with you guys in Thailand. Why don't we try it in Germany? And they understand that. But I think in the future, brands are going to become more consolidated. And together, if we can work centrally with the brand's team and we can bring our global expertise together, then that's a magic formula. I want to shift gears a little bit, Sam, to talk about COVID and to talk about like the impact that it's had on work at Fremantle, on how you're talking to customers, on, on basically how you're working right now. The great news is we're working. <laughs> That's right. 
Look, we haven't stopped production. We've been very fortunate that um, we're in 31 different countries. And so we've got different business units who are delivering different products. So whereby we might have had to modify our production techniques or we might have had to postpone some productions until they're ready to shoot. We've got our global expertise in terms of production safety and technical delivery, and we've managed to keep going. And um, I've been amazed at the creativity that I've seen from the different production companies who reacted very quickly in turning around how they were shooting stuff. Uh, The support from our broadcast partners has been incredible. Uh, At first, it was very much about being agile and if you saw the American Idol uh, series that went out in in April this year it was all shot on Apple phones so Apple did a trade-up with us they gave us their equipment we went into the judges houses the contestants houses the production quality looked amazing but it was very much in a COVID world now we're seeing nobody wants to see shot from home nobody wants to see another zoom screen they want that glamour and polished uh, production values that they had before COVID. And we're managing to deliver that. We just finished shooting Supermarket Sweep in the UK and Tesco, the supermarket, was our brand partner on that show. And we shot it in a socially distant fashion that there was two meters between each of the teams. They didn't bang into each other as they raced down the aisle. Our um, crew are all tested and they're working in a socially distant fashion. And when you look at the rushes, which I've seen, you wouldn't notice that there was any difference. So if you are creative and, you know, we're lucky that we have a central resource to say, Norway did it like this, why don't you try it like that? Uh, I think you can make it work. And it's been it's been a big learning curve for, for all of us, but I think we're all very proud of what we've delivered at Fremantle. That's great. The, you know, this creates so many opportunities for innovation. A lot of the trades have been commenting on how, uh, trends that we were expecting five, ten years of, uh, uh, or, or five or ten years out, are are now being condensed into a one or two year time frame because of COVID. That a lot of these trends are being accelerated, and I see that happening on the production side. We actually noted in the trades just earlier today the the production capabilities of Fremantle are actually scaling now. And I think, from my point of view, as the branded entertainment person in the company, it's going to be a really exciting time. Broadcasters have had ad revenues slashed. They haven't got the same kind of uh, dollars to commission programs that they had six, 12 months ago. So we have to be creative and look for different partners to help fund our shows. So I love the fact that now it's very legitimate for broadcasters to say, okay, Fremantle, we love this format. Here's your time slot. Now go and find a brand. And this gives me great license to go to market and bring brands in into the conversation. I'm also finding that brands and agencies are very willing to play in this space. Agencies have been challenged by COVID and have to think of new business models. And I do believe that content is going to be part of their their new way of being because it has to be. Um, And then we're finding that brands that do have a story to tell are seeing content as a perfect way to tell that story in a very authentic way. As we approach a recession, perhaps it might be that those tactical sales ads and very direct television commercials are not going to be appropriate and that a much softer way of integrating a brand into people's lives is going to be a better, more effective marketing tool for brands. 
Sam, we've talked about the difference between branded content and branded entertainment. Again, I love the notion that branded entertainment uh, draws audiences to it and really starts to look a lot like the programming that they love. Um, When we think about the future of branded entertainment, um, what is its ultimate evolution when it's in its purest and best form? I think like any content, it needs to win awards. So we're all as good as the amount of Oscars or Emmys or BAFTAs uh, sitting on our shelves, but we're also as good as the number of Cannes Lions or equivalent. So the fact that the entertainment Lions exists at Cannes Lions and is getting bigger and bigger every year is hugely important. Our jury, as you mentioned before, we wrote a book about it called The Art of Branded Entertainment, which looked at entertainment in a very academic way. What is it? What can it do? Um, it just got published in Japan this week, the book, which is very exciting. It's number two. On Congratulations. List. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the ultimate goal for branded entertainment is to win in both spheres. So I always joke, can this piece of content win a can-can? Can it win a can line and a can film festival Grand Prix or whatever the equivalent is? Um, because that is, that's, that's the ultimate win. So if you have a piece of content and it wins an Emmy and a Cannes Lions, if it wins a BAFTA and a Cannes Lions, then we know that we've won on both counts. And that is what will finally legitimize branded entertainment and rise it up the ranks in agencies, production companies, platforms, and make it you know, a really important goal to reach in terms of creative excellence. Certainly, we see the transition in, in some of the data, right, with consumers selecting um, SVOD services, um, advertising opportunities and inventory availability kind of dwindling as you make the transition from traditional linear television. Um, big streaming services like Hulu announcing that, you know, within a three-year period, they wanted to see 50% of their ad revenue come from non-interruptive, integrated experiences like the ones you alluded to. Um, Traditionally, integration in television programming has has come from two different sources. Um, either the brand approaches the production company, the producers of the show, and and sometimes gives them product for the show that lowers the overall production budget required for that show, or it comes in from the network or streaming service ad sales organizations. Um, you mentioned how increasingly those organizations are looking to you to, to bring brands to the table. Um, do you see, the with the dwindling inventory of commercials, do you see ad sales organizations themselves within the networks transitioning, changing? I can already see some networks are giving more power to their brand partnership teams. So whereas in the past, um, they might have done one or two ad-funded programs a year, I'm already seeing five, six, seven in their pipelines. So we always, you know, we're quite a small community, the branded entertainment folks. And we always joke that we are the illegitimate siblings, of the main business. And I think we've been, we've been promoted a little bit. and We're <laughs> more legitimate now because people need us. And especially in the broadcast uh, teams, those brand partnership teams are, allowed into those conversations with commissioners now in a way they might not have been before and it's not a dirty word everyone has to accept that on commercial tv the content is funded by brands Mm -hmm. so whether it sits outside the content or inside the content in an authentic and sensitive way 
that's where the money comes from. And we've seen groups I was struck by, um, I think it was three or four years ago, my former employer Viacom actually rebranded their ad sales organization partner in marketing solutions or, or something of that ilk. Um, so we see the, the recognition within organizations, certainly consumers uh, uh, have been recognizing it. So let me like, let's think about fast forwarding a little bit here and get a hot take on if we accelerate some of these trends five years from now, what do you think branded entertainment looks like and how is it different from today? Okay, this is my dream. My dream is that a mega global brand comes to me and says, these are my brand values. I want to create the next Got Talent, Big Brother, Voice, Mars Singer with you. And I'm going to take a risk on this. And we're both going to bring our expertise together and we're going to make this gem of a piece of IP. And unlike an ad, which has a campaign duration of X amount of weeks in one territory and then is off air, this piece of co-created advertising is going to last for a decade. It's going to travel to 20, 30, 40, 50 countries. It's going to be on multiple platforms, on TV, on digital, on social. And you know what? We're not even going to pay for it because the commissioners and the broadcasters are going to want this so much, they're going to fund it. And that, to me, makes so much sense. <laughs> it makes sense for everybody. So what this COVID shakeup might be the catalyst to actually make this happen. It's a spectacular vision of the future, and it requires, as we discussed earlier, alignment on ultimately how we think about performance and having an, a, a very much an audience-first mindset. Um, we just alluded to issues around social injustice. We've made a commitment on the podcast here to make sure that we are having consistent, open, fresh dialogue around these kinds of issues. Uh, we think we have a great forum with Advertising Week to keep this dialogue going in our industry uh, and to elicit really inspirational ideas about what individuals or organizations are doing uh, to advance the Black Lives Matter movement, to keep current our thinking around issues on social injustice. Um, could you tell us your perspective as a Fremantle employee and as an individual within the industry uh, that has a voice and that has some power to talk about these issues. What is your perspective on the role that Fremantle's playing um, and what role you'll play in the future? I think we have an enormous responsibility to uh, champion social justice. Historically, a lot of our content has been very egalitarian we see people from all walks of lives and backgrounds in our shows, whether it's drama or uh, reality TV. And, you know, when I watch Britain's Got Talent, I'm amazed that it's one of the few shows I see that has a genuine snapshot of British society on TV because you, you don't see that in, in much content. However, uh, there's still a lot of work to do. And we've been spending a lot of time across the company listening to people's views and thoughts and that's starting to shape our future programs. I think TV is a brilliant forum in which to change people's minds and attitudes. And we need to take this very seriously in front of the camera, behind the camera, in the type of scripts and stories we're telling in order to further the conversation and to get the general public's buy-in. 
if we talk about brands being included in our content in order to change perceptions of those brands, then we can do that and treat social injustice as our own purpose and to start to address those issues in fiction and nonfiction. That's well said, and that's great to hear. Samantha, thank you so much for being here with us. It was a true pleasure to have you on the Spotless podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, It was a pleasure to be here, and I look forward to hearing from any brands or advertisers who think, how do I get into this space? Is it impossible? The answer is... It's really, really difficult, but together, I think we could do amazing things. Well, thanks for guiding us into this space. Thank you for listening to Spotless. Be sure to subscribe and come back soon for another conversation about the future of television. For more information, you can connect with us anytime at spotless at triplelift.com. Spotless.